football poop is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson on an early Monday morning with no games to review, but a whole offseason to look forward to. So we're going to be going through all of the AFC offseason team needs. We already hit the NFC. Go check that out. That was Thursday's podcast, along with a great interview with my former pitching coach, Tom House, Sam. Hmm. That was my coach. I was unfortunately not able to make it because the microphone crapped out on me. You weren't. Listen to the interview, though, because we forgot to actually mention I did drive five hours to work with Tom House. You did. So that's why we had a fun little interview. That's Thursday's podcast. Before we get into it, though, don't forget, one more week, we're all first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 into their account while using the promo code PFF. We'll receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. It's $40 of value for $20, and you get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the country. It's Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your $20, use the promo code PFF, and receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription today. Sam, one more week to go and do that. The draft guide is out, which is awesome. 477 page pages of awesome. And one way to get it is through this deal from Monkey Knife Fight using the promo code PFF. You ready yes. to go? Yes, Steven. Let's roll. Sorry I have to do so much talking before you get to like Speak, be a part of this exist. thing. Exist. Yeah. yeah. But it's good to have you here. Let's go through the AFC. Um, we also have crazy news this weekend if you're here if you tuned in wanting to know about Matthew Stafford Jared Goff and and what we think we broke it down all on the PFF daily we'll touch on it a little bit at the end of the show as well I think there's some overarching QB market questions and things that we can hit on but if you want the the 11 minute 11 second version it's the PFF NFL daily breaking down the Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford trade it's a very precise number I'm just looking at how long it was, and that's that's what it was. Okay. 11-minute, 11 11-second 11 podcast. All right, let's get into AFC offseason needs. As I said, we hit the NFC in the last show, so we'll go team by team. Starting with the Baltimore Ravens, Sam, you wrote this over at PFF.com. Wide receiver, interior offensive line, and safety as the biggest needs for the Ravens. Yeah. Um, wide receiver has to be the big one, right? Like, I, I don't know what this offense looks like with a true elite number one X receiver. Julio Jones is the, you know, the prototype that I keep coming back to anytime we make this point. I don't know what that looks like in this offense, but critically, I don't know that they know either. Um, And I think at this point, given the relative struggles of that passing game, I think they owe it to themselves to find out, right? We don't know if that will be the cure all, if they still have problems, if, you know, the issues run deeper if they run to the offensive line, if the run game is that integral, if Lamar Jackson is flawed, if Greg Roman is flawed. But let's give them a true number one and find out what that fixes and what it doesn't fix. Um, I think there is a good chance that this offense functions in a similar way to San Francisco's in terms of 
they don't need that true number one guy, right? They they do need some decent high-end receiving options, but it doesn't necessarily need to come at that spot. But that's like the easiest thing to fix. So like, let's do that and move from there. Is this Ravens offense, I'm going to steal your analogy from, a, you know, the last couple of years. Be careful now. Sean McVay and the Rams, you, you've basically said, look, they, they hit a point where they, they hit the league by storm. The Rams offense was great. They took it to a Super Bowl, but the league adjusted a little bit and they needed to find 2.0. What's the adjustment off of that? Is this Ravens offense at that same exact point where they've done it with the run game? They got a, they had a, they knocked a 14 and two season out of it. 11 and five last year. You know, won a playoff game finally after three long years. Lamar Jackson mm-hmm. finally won a playoff game. But do they still need that 2.0? And it's going to come in the passing game and perhaps with a big name type of wide receiver. Yeah, and it's not the first time that Greg Roman has run into that wall when he's created, you know, one of these custom bespoke offenses. The Colin Kaepernick San Francisco offense had a similar issue where they never developed beyond that. They never hit that 2.0. They eventually got figured out. Teams figured out how to what they were doing in the past game, that they weren't running through full field reads, and there was a way of essentially combating what they were doing and, and forcing them to something that wasn't, in their wheelhouse and they they did it in san francisco it's happened in baltimore and the stuff that came out earlier in the season in terms of you know defenses calling out what they're running before they're they're going to run it who knows the exact nature of what that was you know defenses are calling out what opposing offenses are doing all the time so that in and of itself is not exactly breaking news but if that is connected to the idea that this offense was becoming more predictable and hadn't developed beyond what they were doing initially then yeah they every single offense in the nfl needs to show evolution because defenses do defenses understand what you're doing and after a given period of time they're going to catch up to you so you need to keep moving on it's an arms race and if you're not moving forward you are moving backwards relative to how everybody's going to uh, combat you in this Baltimore offense, though, I wonder, you keep citing it as like this true X receiver, which is, you know, that's the guy that's usually on the solo receiver side that you get the opposing best cornerback and, and you just, you got to win one-on-one. You, you, you describe it as a Julio Jones, but let's, let's be realistic. There's not a, a lot of Julios sure. out there, but even if we're looking at the free agent market, you know, a Kenny Galladay, a Chris Godwin and Allen Robinson, if you brought one of those guys in, is that the best fit for the Ravens offense or is it a Will Fuller who just adds more speed and it might be a little redundant to Marquise Brown on the other side but like I don't know who cares should the Ravens receivers be those types of guys or in the draft Kadarius Tony who's a gimmick slot type of player Rondell Moore who is just an incredible space player are those the guys they should be adding just weapons that instill fear in the defense because they have Lamar in the running game and what they have uh, elsewhere on this roster so this is like the 49ers dilemma it's do you need that true number one x style receiver or do you still or are you still a really uh, dangerous offense if you just get good playmakers regardless of where they are so you know for years people were throwing this at the 49ers and you would say well they do have a number one receiver it's just george kittle like it's a tight end and they have kyle Juszczyk as a fullback and then they start drafting all these um, run after the catch monsters, these Brandon Ayukes, Debo Samuels, all that kind of stuff. But you saw the difference that an Emmanuel Sanders makes to this offense, like a true, legitimate, conventional 
wide receiver did elevate the group. Um, I, I think at this point, because the Ravens don't know what's missing or don't know exactly what's wrong with this passing attack, sure, the Will Fullers or just the speed receivers might tick the box, but let's try and answer the question once and for all. And let's just get the best true number one receiver you can find and then figure out where things work beyond that. Like, Will Fuller, the, the Ravens might just need speed, right? Uh, in addition to Marquise Brown. They might just need additional speed weapons that can scare defenses. But if you get a guy like Julio Jones, you have speed anyway. Like, Julio Jones does what Will Fuller does, plus seven other things. So let's get let's that. Let's stop using Julio, though. Whatever. Like, find Chris Godwin, right? Chris Godwin is fast enough. Um, plus, he does five other things that Will Fuller yeah. doesn't do. So instead of saying, yeah, I mean, if we don't wind up with that, we can get a cheap version and get Will Fuller, and that just takes the top off a of defense in addition to Marquise Brown. Okay, if everything goes to hell, let's do that. But let's focus in on the Chris Godwins of the world first, uh, or, you know, the draft, a uh, Devontae Smith. Let's, let's do that first and then, you know, figure out what a backup plan looks like if that doesn't work out for some reason Devonte, who you absolutely love the the other interesting one is interior offensive line which yes the running game started to find its groove down the stretch how much did that coincide with the poor schedule but their guard play and center play really did take a step back in 2020 bradley bozeman at left guard uh ben powers tyre phillips i mean they had a lot of different guys uh, playing right guard and, you know, the center position with Matt Skura, not a great year from him. Patrick McCarry had to play a little bit. So, yes. And then they had um, undrafted free agent Tristan Colon Castillo playing for a couple games. Had a bad snap in there. So, yes, the interior of the offensive line uh, definitely was a strength in 2018 and 19. You know, you lose Marshall Yanda to retirement. So that's a place that they can attack this offseason. And then safety is an interesting one. And another one where they, ha they didn't really replace Earl Thomas from – 2019 and the way they use their safeties and corners well really their safeties you know sometimes as linebackers like chuck clark all over the place adding more versatility there i think makes a lot of sense yeah and i don't think they're bad at safety it's just you know this is a, a third position of need and it's it's a position i think they could move the needle if they dramatically upgraded um without you know being a desperate problem in the on the roster already but i think the offensive line was an issue inside um and in particular you know, most teams are looking for pass protectors first, and then you think about the run game. The right. Ravens are the reverse. You need some real road graders that can actually move people off the line of scrimmage and, and make these holes for Lamar Jackson in the run game, which in turn opens up the pass game and makes things easier for themselves. So, you know, the, the tackles that the Ravens have are in one of the most beneficial schemes in the NFL in terms of making those guys look good and protecting them and limiting the number of straight dropbacks and true pass sets that they have to, to take. Uh, but to an extent, that sort of leans on the interior. And the interior is the area that fell apart. Um, they got injured on a tackle as well. But the interior, when it stopped being able to just dominate people on the, on the ground, was a part, I think, of the entire run game kind of slowly... Uh, slowing down. Is Orlando Brown trying to get out? Was that official or was that... I think he's trying to... I mean, he wants to be... Or was that secretive stuff? That was in one of our chats. I don't remember. <laughs> it was in one of our chats, but I think he wants to be the left tackle. Like he, you know, stepped over there this year when um, Ronnie Stanley got hurt. He's now like, well, I'm, I'm a left tackle now. 
Pay wants, me. To get, wants to get paid as yeah. such. Orlando Brown's had a nice little career for a guy who had the worst combine in NFL really history. He has started out with three solid grades, including a career high this past year, 77.7, he, with the majority of his work coming at left tackle. He is like the the reverse of you know the Josh Allens and the quarterbacks that have all all the toolsy quarterbacks recently have panned out. It's like, do you go back to the drawing board and start reevaluating what you think of a prospect quarterback? Like Orlando Brown had pretty good tape in college, but was one of the worst athletes the combine has ever seen. Just was big, a huge mountain of a human who couldn't really move. Um, but he's been good. Now you have to weigh that up against as I said, that offense protects tackles to a huge degree, but he's been good. And like, does that send people back to the drawing board of going, all right, (laughs) just get guys who block people, right? Maybe, maybe we don't need a spectacular athlete to tackle. Maybe we just need someone that's actually pretty good at blocking. And if he happens to be the size of Nebraska and therefore take some time to run around, that's all the better. All right, let's move on to the Buffalo bills. Next team on the list in the AFC, the three, Team needs offensive tackle, cornerback, and interior defensive line. Um, I was watching our friends over at Two for One Drafts the other day, Austin Gale, Mike Renner. They were discussing, I think it was Mel Kuyper's mock draft. It was either Mel or Daniel Jeremiah, and they gave the Bills Najee Harris, the running back, and they were citing how, well, Sean McDermott came out and said they got to run the ball better mm. next year, right? So all the mocks were like, I'll oh, give him a running back, even though I think Zach Moss, Devin Singletary, pretty good you know guys are breaking tackles and Renner's point was if you're going to improve the run game get a guard you know guard would be a great spot for them at late in the first round I just want to say the Bills roster they're at this you have to be so careful when you feel like you're one or two pieces away I think the Bills have to be very careful to say AFC championship participant drop the banner (laughs) we're there we're close Let's just get a guard. We're a guard away. You know, f- fix the run game. We'll be fine. I like the way we broke it down. Tackle, big position you have to replace. Uh, right tackle, Daryl Williams. And then cornerback, a position that they haven't really attacked opposite Tredavious White over the last couple of years. And I think would be go much further than even a guard. Yeah, it, it's a good point. This roster is actually in really good shape right now. In it is. terms of when just you go careful. through. Yeah, yeah. When you go through, it's not easy to find obvious weaknesses and glaring holes and you're like okay we got to attack this spot otherwise everything goes to hell but I think it's a good point that they're also not stacked across the board in many places obviously the wide receiver core is amazing um, but there aren't that many spots on this this roster where you're like yeah they are loaded there so therefore you know you could basically pick your spot and just start adding players start adding talent um, and try and upgrade at critical spots. And that's basically what we've done here. Tackle, if you get better at offensive tackle, it's usually a, a good thing. Cornerback, Levi Wallace is that player to me where the underdog story that he is, they're going to be trying to replace him for like 10 years. Oh, yeah. Like he's going to be starting for 10 years and every single offseason, somebody's going to be coming in to take his job and he's probably going to outplay the guy every single time. Um, but they're going to keep swinging because – you know, as decent as Levi Wallace is, you can always upgrade over a Levi Wallace. It's just, you know, it's it's not that easy to do. In order to upgrade over a guy like Levi, you actually need to get a good player at the position, which is not, you know, it's not the easiest thing in the world to achieve. In the slot, Teron Johnson, you know, he had some big plays down the stretch. He had, you know, he's, he's a pretty good slot. They brought Josh Norman in. 
as kind of a hey let's just let's kick the tires on Norman you know they did that last year he was fine you know when he was out there but again I still I think that having a legitimate consistent number two opposite Tredavious White would be really really helpful and add some flexibility to a defense um, that does like to move Tredavious around at times yeah Levi Wallace for his career has given up a pass rating of 87 um, including the playoffs which I think is he's Prince of Mukamara no, he's slight. Yeah, okay, yeah. Who I like. I think yeah. he's a good, solid player. He is. Like, he's he's this guy that's going to be 10 points in passer rating better than league average for his career. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he is, he is moving the needle slightly in your direction over just being the average NFL player. Um, plus, the, the other thing working against him is that he's like 112 pounds. Like, lightweight. You know, at least Mukamara had prototypical size. Whereas Levi's also battling against the idea that he's, you know, skinny and undrafted and all those yeah. kinds of things as well. So um, going back to offensive tackle a little bit, though, Darrell Williams, as we mentioned, a free agent. He paired with Deion Dawkins. Dawkins had an 80 grade, Williams a 79. Everybody in the interior was in mid-60s. Yeah. So the clear strength of the Bills offensive line was a tackle, whether it's locking Darrell Williams up or just finding a replacement at right tackle, I do think that is huge. That So the, the, this is the Bills just kind of maintaining status quo, and this happens every offseason. You know, just re- when you have to replace players, it's unexciting, but it's necessary. Um, and I just think the Bills, again, they just have to be really careful, and the analysis of the Bills has to be really careful not to just like, well, let's just fill this hole, fill this hole, fill this hole, and then we're good. We'll stay. I, you have to continue to keep moving forward because everybody around you is still getting better. And... You really have to like, – they probably need two good corners because you're still trying to beat the Chiefs, the team that beat you in the AFC yeah. Championship. That's the goal is to beat the Chiefs. They should be getting four different corners, you know, in the, the Randy Moss plan here because you're trying to beat the Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, the tackle is a good example of – yeah, sure. You, the Based on this year's roster, obviously guard is a bigger issue. But Darrell Williams is a free agent. He had an, like an 80 overall PFF grade. Um, gave up 21 pressures in across a thousand snaps of action. That's a pretty good player, and he's about to walk out the door. So whilst he was a, a much smaller need than the guards this year, it, right now on paper, the tackle is probably weaker because he isn't there, and you're, you've got a nobody. You've got a you know a Madden creator player at right tackle, and that's probably worse than the guard play that you had this year. So. Uh, you know hit tackle first because it's a more important position we also put interior defensive line on the list uh ed oliver uh in his second year after being drafted in the first round not great in the run game you know he's another guy flash plays here and there you'll see him uh you know penetrate into the backfield make some big plays but he get absolutely owned um at times and just blown off the ball you know starlo to Lely, um he opted out that kind of hurt i think a little bit up front but they were pushed around quite a bit this year on the interior of the defensive line I think they could depending on what they want to do schematically and we always talked about how they invite the run and all that stuff they could probably use that true nose tackle that guy who just you know plays multiple gaps if needed but just an excellent interior run defender that allows them to play with a light box you know so they're not getting you know, torched for eight yards per carry in certain games well the big problem with Ed Oliver is that he was abysmal against the run and not great as a pass rusher leaving him as just a 280 pound guy in the middle um like oliver was such a weird player coming out because supreme athleticism one of the freakiest athletes at the position we've ever seen 
but wasn't polished in terms of uh, being a complete player in the way Aaron Donald was when he came out. So the two drew a lot of comparisons because they're both undersized, athletic, uh, interior pass rushers or interior players, but they were completely different stylistically, even independent of like how they were used in college. So Oliver has now become this player that can't defend the run and hasn't yet developed in terms of a pass rusher to the point where you can live with it. So if, if, Oliver, if Oliver had taken steps forward and, you know, become a sort of Aaron Donald-esque pass rusher, or even like, not Aaron Donald-esque, but Aaron donald light, right? A, an impact pass rusher um, from the interior. A guy that was aver- like had a, you know, PFF pass rushing grade in the 80s, was generating 50-plus pressures a year. At that point, you could go, okay, I don't really care that he can't defend the run. Well, that'd be worth it. Yeah, but he isn't. Right now, he's yeah. just a guy that generates 30-something pressures a year, is okay as a pass rusher, and then gets annihilated whenever he has to defend the run, at which point, like, that's not a that's that's a problem now. Ironically, though, he was really good in the run game from a grading standpoint coming out of Houston. Yeah. You know, playing in a tough role, but, you know, he penetrated. He was, uh, he was just difficult to block, and he did it without great technique. That has kind of caught up to him so far at the NFL level. Yeah, I mean, that's a good example of strength of competition. Yeah. Like, you can play like that at Houston because you're a superior athlete. You probably can't in the NFL. So just something to keep an eye on when it comes to the Bills and this offseason. They're, they're in a fascinating spot. We've seen, you know, this was, you know, the Jaguars a few years ago. Didn't seem like they had any holes coming off their AFC Championship loss. And uh, even the year before that, it's like, oh, they, don't, they really didn't have any ma- massive holes. They added Leonard Fournette at fourth overall. So just be careful, Bills. Keep attacking. Keep going for the Chiefs, not just filling out the roster. Um, the hometown Cincinnati Bengals, we went with interior offensive line and offensive tackle. Mm. Both massive of needs for the Bengals and cornerback. I would also, I would also throw a wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, they're the opposite mix. of the Bills. I mean, you could find it's holes everything. everywhere assuming you're going to say they don't need a quarterback because they drafted one and let's hope his knee is okay. Uh, everything else on this roster needs help. Yeah, um, so obviously the offensive line, not just because Joe Burrow got hurt. We knew that Burrow was going to struggle with being put under pressure quite a bit yeah, but as I a mean, rookie. It, so it is just because Joe Burrow got hurt, but that's just a like, that's just the inevitable conclusion of where this was headed, right? If you don't fix this offensive line, your star quarterback that you drafted number one overall to – transform this franchise is going to get hurt and that's exactly what happened it was going to happen eventually so let's ensure that that never happens again let's try and repair an offensive line in front of him that actually functions and right now they've got maybe one viable starter so jonah williams is the one viable starter yeah first round pick from a couple years ago let's say he's the left tackle if they were to draft panay sewell you put jonah williams back on the right side panay plays left jonah did play the right tackle at alabama for a little bit that's a nice starting point yeah um and then you know do they get a joe tooney and free agency at guard i mean this is i think they need to find three starters this year just to be just to creep back toward average yeah right? which i mean is, whether it's in the draft or in free agency which is not a good place to be i mean we've talked before about you know anytime you like the jets example last year anytime you need to find like an entire offensive line worth of starters in one off season your strike rate on that is just it's not it's never going to be that high you're 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 not going to do that you're not going to achieve five new starters all of whom keep their head above water for next year so you've just got to hope you hit what you hit i mean sewell i think makes a lot of sense because 
he's one of the best tackle prospects to come along in a long, long time. So let's assume that that's a guy that can get plugged in and be good right off the bat. That potentially gives you two spots done. Now, if you have to hit three more positions, let's try and get one or two of them to the point where they're not issues. And then you can start to attack in, in during game plans. You can start to hide the weaknesses. Now you right. know that only one of these guys is a turnstile and we can start working to mitigate that with the game plan. When all five guys are turnstiles, there's nothing you can do. You're just going to be in trouble. The interesting thing about Sewell, and I've made this point about the Bengals before, right? At number five overall, he might be there. I also wonder if getting a Jamar Chase or your boy Devontae Smith or having another receiver would be the better move there in the first round, right? You pair them with T. Higgins, nice little rookie season, but you know you don't want to you don't want to go into the season with just T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. I don't think you know they're they're both. I think they're both good complementary pieces. Having a third piece though, which they didn't have this year, they had it in name only in AJ Green. So you add another receiver there. All right, Joe Burrow's life's a, a lot better. It is a good offseason for starting caliber tackles. So Panay Sewell might be the generational tackle prospect, but in free agency, if you just needed either a Band-Aid or a solid starter, Russell Okung, Alejandro Villanueva, Darrell Williams, who we mentioned, you know, Kelvin Beecham, even. Like, these are guys that are massive upgrades over what they had. You might be better off drafting a good receiver, getting one of those tackles, or in the draft, there are guys... Uh, like Tevin Jenkins, who could be late first or in, in on the turn in the second round, Alex Leatherwood. I mean, there are starting caliber tackles out there where this year maybe getting Panay Sewell isn't the best option for them. The fact that it's a good tackle draft, I think, makes that an interesting discussion more than it normally would. But to me, this is a perfect example of the value in or the, the distance between Panay Sewell and the next best guy in any given year is substantial enough that I think you just take that and you work out receiver elsewhere and it's a great year for wide receiver and free agency um, you know True. Chris Godwin Kenny Galladay uh, all those guys Allen Robinson there's a ton of those guys if you wanted to go that route it's also always a great wide receiver draft like the, the way the college landscape is right now year after year we're talking about this is the best wide receiver group to come along since the last one um, and I think the same thing is true this year. So, and, and there's now becoming this growing movement of because wide receiver is so abundant in terms of draft prospects coming out, do you wait, right? We, we've been talking before about they're so valuable getting this difference maker at wide receiver. You should always take these guys. They should be the guy going number two overall, or number three overall versus the safe tackle or whoever it is that normally goes at that spot after the quarterbacks. Um, but there's now this thought of, well, if they're so abundant and so easy to get, do you start waiting until round two and three and instead snag the guy at the position that's just harder to find? So I think the Bengals are actually in a good spot to take a Panay Sewell and then come back in the second round and still get essentially a first-round caliber wide receiver. You used my same argument against me, just reverse yeah. the positions. Uh huh. But because, because Sewell is the guy that's seen as the, you know, the generational talent to tackle – get him like if you no, I get it yeah if you were telling me that there was a an equivalent Panay Sewell in the draft at wide receiver I think that would be the the, the argument to make that yeah you get this guy take tackle and free agency or whatever um but Sewell is that guy yeah it's an interesting discussion that I think they should be having down the street 
uh, at the Bengals' offices. Either way, I think they're looking for three starters on the offensive line. And then, you know, they brought Quentin Spain in, you know, for a little bit last year. If Quentin Spain is he's your weak link, if yeah. he's your weak link, you're okay. Right. If Quentin Spain's your second best offensive lineman, yeah. you're in trouble. So that's what the Bengals are. That, that's how they're trying to flip the script as far as offensive line goes. You mentioned, yes, there are there are holes everywhere. Um, yeah, we listed cornerback. I mean, they're losing William Jackson the third potentially. He's hitting free agency. So yeah, I think they have to continue to build back to front along that def- uh, along that defense. And Alexander, right? He McKenzie and Mackenzie Alexander. Alexander both. So they basically got one starter, and it's uh, Trey Waynes. Yeah, That's it's not great. It's not a great place to be. As I mean, far literally, as, as I said, scratch quarterback off the list. Every other position on this roster could be upgraded easily. Uh, let's move on to the Cleveland Browns. Um, this is an interesting one because you listed everything <laughs> in the middle of the field, uh, of the middle okay. of the defense. Safety, linebacker, interior of the defensive line. And I do those, – those are, in general, slightly less valuable positions. Um, maybe not safety because, you know, high-end safety is really good, but slightly less valuable positions. But it's the old adage, you build through the middle, and we would suggest that no, you actually yeah. build on the edges. And I don't think – I wouldn't argue with you if you said cornerback was a need as well. Um, I, I think they're going to look at that and say, all right, we have Denzel Ward. That's a good spot at one cornerback. We've got guys coming back from injury at the other spot, Greedy Williams or whoever. Cornerback is not a disaster if we get plus play in the middle. And we haven't had that this season. Like when Andrew Sandejo is playing like a thousand snaps and, you know, <laughs> letting everything pass him in the middle of the field, it just makes everything worse. You know, the way the Minnesota Vikings have been able to sort of patch up questionable cornerback play for a while by having essentially a pair of all pro safeties. And Andrew Sandejo. And Andrew Sandejo. <laughs> the Browns last year had the exact opposite of that. It's like everything on the outside looks worse because the inside is such a complete disaster safety linebacker teams are just passing all over the middle of the field there's no when whereas harrison smith and anthony harris are sort of squeezing those throwing lanes and forcing everything outside to tighten the amount of space you have to cover as a cornerback andrew sudejo is doing the exact opposite and essentially magnifying the amount of space that you have to try and cover a guy one-on-one and making you look like an idiot so I think that the bigger needle mover is actually to fix that than it is to try and upgrade over a Greedy Williams or a, a Terrence Mitchell or whoever it is outside. Ronnie Harrison was solid this year. I liked, I always like bringing Carl Joseph in, taking a flyer on <laughs> Carl Joseph. He did have his worst season this year. Um, I'm back and forth between when I like a player and like their skill set, like Carl Joseph, and when multiple coaching staffs have staff given up on them. Give up yeah. on them, right? When that, you know, it's kind of like, Josh Rosen, like if you're in love with Josh Rosen and you're like, wait, he's had four coaching staffs quit on him. At what point am I just wrong? Yeah. No matter what I like. That's how I feel about Carl Joseph. Like, ah, you know, I could, he could do this, he could do that. I could do a little dabble and do a little bit of everything. At some point, the common denominator becomes you. At some point, yes. Um, so he didn't have a great year. So I could see safety. You know, linebacker, I think, was a massive need last year. I don't know. I think it's kind of like what we said about the Ravens last year. Like, I don't know if they're going to value linebacker. The Ravens did draft a linebacker i mean linebacker early, is also but... the horrible spot to need help in right now because where do you go like there are, there's like two good linebackers in the nfl right now the way that those guys are being attacked by opposing offenses if you don't have fred warner or eric kendricks bobby wagner you're basically screwed 
Levante not, David. But that's yeah, Levante is getting old and hitting free agency. You're not finding plus play that's going to impact your defense, particularly if you're looking in the draft. I mean, you know, Roquan Smith was a linebacker we absolutely loved coming out because of what he could do in coverage and all those kinds of things. Roquan has struggled transitioning to the NFL level. And even now, like everybody in Chicago wants him as an all pro, and, and like, he hasn't been that good. He's been better but it's taken him a few years to get there and he still isn't moving the needle as much as a Fred Warner or an Eric Hendricks. If you need linebacker play, if your linebacker situation is a disaster right now and you need an upgrade at that position, I don't know how successful you're going to be even if you're targeting, you know, Micah Parsons, one of the best linebacker prospects to come along in a decade. I just, right now that position is just, it's the one under the boot of opposing schemes i still think that the browns will will think about using their safeties more there too i mean they had bj goodson sioni takitaki as you know solid run defenders or whatever but um adding a safety up into the box and using those types of players to mask some linebacker deficiencies is smart interior defensive line larry Ogunjobi, who has a good reputation as a like he's never really graded all that great he was the one year like, unbelievable yes and unbelievable in week one yeah this year it was like all right here we go unrestricted free agent breakout year and he still settled back i really don't understand why he isn't better um he showed you know that first year showed that he could do it and then every single every time you watch him you look at him and he makes some plays and the physical tools are all there like, why why is he not consistently better than he is I don't know. Okay. He's, I mean, he's, he's he was. He, it's really just been in flashes, and I and I. There's a lot of guys like him, who I feel just maybe play too many snaps. You know, it's like he played 747 snaps this year, 770 the year before, 930 the year before. When you have guys that do stuff in flashes, maybe they're just four or five hundred snap guys. His pff run defense grade has gotten worse every single season right so that and that's first where he year, should that's where his skill set should play like yeah. he, he was good he was a good run defender in college at charlotte and that first year he had a run defense grade of 84 was making all these plays in the backfield tackles for loss just wrecking people in the run game didn't really bring anything as a pass rusher but that was okay because that was his skill set then it went from 84 to 67 to 60 to 54 he's just gotten progressively worse and in big jumps like that's a that's a significant step backwards every single season whilst not getting any better as a pass rusher yeah so basically the interior of the entire defense uh, needs a look jordan elliott yeah. the guy that we thought you know we liked him as a first round prospect last year we'll see if he could develop opposite sheldon richardson that would help a lot it would really help uh, as far as one of those needs goes all right denver broncos next team on the afc list here quarterback number one sam cornerback and interior offensive line did well you did see because I did I told you this well let's discuss let's discuss the stories the Broncos were apparently in on the Matthew Stafford sweepstakes but balked pulled out because Denver or because Detroit wanted Drew Locke as part of the package right evidently they were happy to trade Matthew Stafford as long as they were going to get some kind of quarterback from any from somebody back in, as part of the deal so that they weren't rolling into 2021 with essentially no quarterback uh and i, I i'm kind of blown away that if you're denver you don't pull the trigger on that i understand still being attached to drew lock and still thinking that there is the chance you can get the, the whatever the ceiling of drew lock is out of him 
in future. I don't think that what he did this year necessarily condemns him to life as a bust and a disaster and no future. I think there is still potential there that Drew Locke could work out as you know a viable starting quarterback in the future. On the other hand, you can't possibly be convinced of that. And right now you need to get rid of him as your starting quarterback. And if, if, if those two things are in conflict, get rid of him. Like you don't, you can't be so attached to him now that you prevent it from, or pre- allow it to prevent you from getting a you know high end viable quarterback, and yet they were. It's so funny how you talk about Stafford in different terms depending on what point you're trying to make. High end valuable quarterback. He's high end compared with a. Drew is he Long. a coach killer or is he a high valuable? He's both. Okay. He's he's. If you are looking for Matthew Stafford to become a top five quarterback and put it all together and realize the potential of the crazy no-look passes and, you know, the elite arm strength and the NFL films highlight real plays and all those kinds of things. If you think that one year he's going to put all that together and you're going to get like 16 games worth of peak Stafford and he ends up with like a high, you know, bordering on that 90-grade PFF, I don't think that's ever happening. At which point, if you're betting on that year after year after year, he's going to be a coach killer and you're going to end up looking for a new job somewhere i want to discuss that later because i think i have a better proxy for what stafford might be but if drew Locke is your starting quarterback like hell yes matthew stafford is a a high-end quarterback he takes you from like literally number 31 or 32 in terms of starting quarterbacks in the nfl to top to like 10 or 11 which is huge there's two ways of looking at drew Locke. i think i liked the fact that they took him at in the second round remember in the 2019 draft he was their third Selection, Noah Fant, Dalton Reisner, two starters, and then Drew Locke, who I think was a good second-round quarterback. And when you get a second-round quarterback, you hope that they become a Derek Carr, right? Which is a good, viable starter. He, by the way... starter to Matthew Stafford. But... He, by the way, is the counter to the sequence of toolsy quarterbacks that have all worked out. But this is the the opposite of this. This is what I I was going to bring up. Because he started late in 2019, he only has about a year's worth of reps, right? He only has 599 career attempts. So technically, he's got a year of experience, not two, in his two years in the league. The FOMO is strong in Denver. Their fear that he is going to go figure it out in Detroit. Yeah. And the recency bias of seeing Josh Allen in year three become an MVP candidate. Drew Locke does not have Josh Allen's caliber of tools, but he's a toolsy you know, yeah. IKEA quarterback light, Ikea light. To use your what is IKEA term. light? Like IKEA is already a sort of budget, you know, budget Scandinavian furniture outlet. Where do you go cheaper than that? It's just like a lesser version of something you would buy at IKEA. Okay, I would say. Which, by you're the way, you're only saying that because you can't think of an IKEA light as a store now. Yeah. Um. There's there's actually no such thing as IKEA light. There is. Oh, I think there is. I just don't know what it no, is. No, there is there is not a worse store in the world oh there's not a store that i hate being in more but i guarantee you there is like a cheaper version of ikea kicking yeah. around the place yeah, kelly we we need some stuff and kelly's like hey we're you couldn't pay me to go, go to, to ikea, IKEA i said i'm not doing it absolutely not yes i will never i will, cannot i no. that's you, worth an entire show and the entire thing is designed to keep you locked in there and trapped yes 
in this you're trapped giant for three hours labyrinth of a warehouse of furniture while they are advertising disgusting looking meatballs uh-huh and then at the end of it all you want you have meatballs. to grab the crap that you want yeah. off the shelf and drag it to the checkout and you're so hungry you actually want to buy <laughs> the meatballs at their cafeteria so that's ikea done as a sponsor we're not getting them i'm okay with it yeah i'm okay with it well especially if they send you free stuff like congratulations ikea your sponsor here's your box of crap you need to put together i went over to my friends at bargains and buyouts over here in cincinnati that's where i get some stuff <laughs> my buddy my buddy runs the place so that i'd much so nice. we went there instead of ikea yeah so drew lock ikea quarterback light okay and there's a little fomo in detroit we're in denver where they're like I listen it. i don't want drew lock to be my starter but it'd be cool if he was my backup just what in do they case. do i i Yes, I get it entirely. I understand that you want to keep Drew Locke there because, as I said, I think there is a chance that he works it out, particularly if you don't need him starting next year, if he can sit on the bench and you know actually learn and develop and blah, blah, blah. I, I understand 100% that all things being equal, you would rather keep Drew Locke in the building than not. But if that's the cost of getting the quarterback that actually is you know, a useful starter for you, you have to make it happen. You've already dumped him. Like, this is why you're talking about Matthew Stafford in the first place is because Drew Locke has not worked out for you. You can't, therefore, allow that to prevent you upgrading on him. That doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't, I don't mind setting that price because we're gonna, we talked about how much the Rams had to give up to get Matthew Stafford. I don't think that'd be a good move by the Broncos to try to match that. They try like they set up. Well, that's price. a different argument. I mean, they set a price first. Let's say it was say it was a first rounder, but we don't want to give up Drew Locke. You know, I think that's okay. On the other hand, the Broncos, if they're going to compete with the Chiefs, with the playmakers that they have, they they are close. We we keep saying that the Broncos are close, and they might be a quarterback away. And Stafford could be that quarterback. Um, with these playmakers, with the guys that the Broncos... The Broncos have put a pretty good, you know, roster in place, both sides of the ball. Got to upgrade cornerback, I think, but um, which is number two on the list. Corner, definitely a major issue in Denver. I, Vic Fangio, I always mention, he's the guy that's kind of done more with less at the cornerback position through the years, but you'd still like to have uh, more consistency. Yeah, they all got hurt this past year, too, which didn't help, um, but cornerback, definitely a place that they should be attacking. But overall, I don't hate the strategy of kind of like setting a price saying, we want to keep Drew Locke. All right, we lost out on Matthew Stafford. Let's go to the next the next guy. I Yeah, I, t I think the argument of we're not matching the Rams trade haul is a different one. Like if you – and that's not what was being reported, this idea of the, the price just got too high and we walked away. That's not what they're saying. What they're saying is they essentially had a deal or, you know, they were close to – being on the same page but when detroit said we want drew lock as part of this package denver was like whoa no I mean, we can't do that that to me makes no sense you've already decided that drew lock's play has has left you with the requirement of replacing him as the starter at which point you can't allow him to prevent you from achieving that that makes no sense whatsoever to me um yes cornerback like their best cornerback was Bryce Callahan, who's a slot player. Now Bryce Callahan had an amazing season for a slot player. He's a good player. Allowed a passer rating of forty six point nine, which for the and and a completion percentage of fifty four percent. Slot players generally allow completion percentages above two thirds, sixty six and and above. Um, to be where Bryce Callahan was this season is crazy. Also, 
he had to like moonlight outside multiple times because everybody else got hurt. So he was a five foot eight slot guy who had to play outside in the perimeter and did a really good job doing that. He had an amazing season and went massively under the radar compared to what he did. But basically everybody else there can't be playing anymore. Like, you know, my, I mean, unless they take massive steps forward in years two and three, you know, Michael Ojemudia, et cetera, et cetera, had some good play, but was otherwise, you know, lit on fire to the tune of a passer rating of like 120. Those guys need to be upgraded upon. And, you know, A.J. Boye brought in as a sort of, yeah, let's roll the dice. This guy was once an all-pro caliber player. Not so much anymore. Uh, good numbers there, Sam. All coming from PFF Elite, which you guys can get for 25% off this week. Promo code Super Bowl 25, Super Bowl 25 for all PFF subscriptions. That's Edge or Elite. So both Edge and Elite bring the draft guide to the table, 477 pages of awesome, plus all the updates that come with it. You get 25% off Edge or Elite. So you get the draft guide. But if you're looking for the grades and the stats that you were citing, that's all part of PFF Elite. So good time to get 25% off right now. Super Bowl 25 is the promo code through the Super Bowl. So do it this week. All right, who's the next AFC team here? The Houston Texans. Ooh. You have an hour? Well, they're in the same spot as the Cincinnati Bengals. They need everything, and including it's potentially included, quarterback potentially if including they trade him away. What does the Matthew Stafford trade do for Deshaun Watson's <laughs> value? I don't know. Um, I mean, in theory, it should only make it higher, right? If Stafford is sure. going for two firsts, a third, and Jared Goff, then Deshaun Watson is theoretically worth all of the first-round picks. Let me ask you something. <clears throat> You've been around NFL types and NFL people. You know how they think a little bit. You know that they're not watching 700 snaps. They're not watching all 700 you know, dropbacks of Deshaun Watson and Matthew Stafford side-by-side. Side. They're watching a handful. Mm -hmm. When you watch a handful of Matthew Stafford snaps you can think he's a top five quarterback. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the NFL, when they're putting Watson next to Stafford, you know, in our terms, Watson was the number three overall quarterback. Stafford has been in the teens for the majority of his career. Watson's on the ascent. Stafford's been, you know, solid, good, fine. But do you think the NFL has them much closer because of the silly arm talenty type of things that Matthew Stafford does? I would bet you can find people that think that Stafford is the same caliber of player as Deshaun Watson, just older. Yeah. Which I would say. And is age is a big issue crazy. here, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I would bet you can find people like that in the NFL that think they're at the same level, but Stafford is, you know, just older. I, which I think is ludic lunacy, ludicrous, madness, wrong. Um, I, those two on the players. Other hand, on the other hand, using PFF grades, Last year, they were very similar. From a grading standpoint, in 2019, very yeah. similar. But Stafford, that was like that was the high end of Stafford for eight games before he got hurt. And this hurt. is Watson on the upswing. Right, and was Watson's baseline before he took off into the stratosphere. Um, I do think that there are two players that are wildly the, – the jury on them is all over the place. Um, there are people on Twitter that think Matthew Stafford is like the best quarterback in the NFL – Detroit has been wasting him for his entire career. Now the man's going to go there to Los Angeles and be an all-pro and look ridiculous, you know, and crazy. And then there are people that are like, Deshaun Watson won four games. How good can he be? Um, both of those, I think, are nuts. Like, Deshaun Watson, we've been talking about him as the second biggest asset in the NFL after Patrick Mahomes. When you look at what he's been doing there with 
his number one receiver was traded away in the offseason with a bunch of guys that have some speed but aren't massive difference move, uh, makers to your offense. Not a great offensive line. No head coach for most of the season. What Deshaun Watson did this year was crazy, and his baseline has been absurdly high and consistent before that point. I think he is right up there with the best quarterbacks in the NFL, and given his age and you know profile, I don't think he's getting worse over the, the, the next few years. He's already locked down to a contract. I mean, he is the perfect asset to acquire for if you need a quarterback. I'd say the, the best proxy, let, let's just make this comparison. The best proxy for Watson, I would say, is like getting Russell Wilson back in year five. And I would say the majority of Russell Wilson's career, he has been the quote-unquote tier two quarterback in my tier system in my head, where tier one has always been Brady and Rodgers, Breeze, Peyton, and now probably Mahomes, right? I think the majority of Wilson's career, he's been there, and he's had years where he's jumped up into tier one. Maybe these last couple of years, he's a tier one guy. Watson, after a few years, I think was a tier two type of quarterback, and now he's stepped up number three overall uh, quarterback this past year. I think you need another year like that to say, okay, he's a tier one guy. I mean, this is like trading for Russell Wilson with, it, you know, year four or five of his career. I think the Stafford one, and on the daily, we compared it to Cutler, which might be, but, you know, a higher end of color. I think a better comparison there might be Carson Palmer late in his career, where Palmer was former number one overall pick, cannon for an arm, throw on the highlight reel for Palmer. He's making special throws left and right. And that's what people are trying to do. So it's almost, it's like Russell Wilson versus late career Carson Palmer, who did stitch together one MVP yeah. caliber season. I think that's a better proxy for Stafford. But I don't think, I mean, that's consistent year in, year out baseline of success with Watson versus we're kind of hoping for a, a peak year from Stafford. So based off that, I don't think their value is in the same ballpark. No. Now, that brings up the point. What are the Texans potentially going to get for Deshaun Watson in all of their holes? Cornerback, edge defender, safety. They're all on the defensive side of the ball. This thing has been, if you're going to make the argument against Watson only winning four games this year, then you have to look to the previous season when the defense was horrendous and they did go to the play. They were a playoff team. They were in there competing with the Chiefs for three quarters and not because of their defense, but because of their offense and Watson and what they were able to do. Yeah, their defense is, has it's, been abysmal. For, for years, it's just been getting worse and worse. Yeah, um, and they're not like, again, this is not an exhaustive list of their needs. They need pretty much everything. Uh, so, you know, pick your position. You could be upgraded upon. But there's this year featured a sequence of disastrous defenses in the bottom five, of which Houston was one of them. Um, Detroit, Jacksonville, Houston, they were a group of the worst defenses in the NFL. They allowed 6.2 yards per play, which is a massive figure. It didn't matter what Deshaun Watson was doing on offense because every time the things – got uh, down towards the end, the Texans couldn't stop anybody. So if they had the ball last, or if, if the opposition had the ball last, you were probably losing. And that's what Watson was faced with. They don't have anybody on defense, I think, that you would say, this guy is a guaranteed superstar and not upgradable upon. J.J. Watt would be the guy you would normally point to, but Watt this season was a shadow of him, his former self. Not that he was bad, but he went immediately from like elite play you know, J.J. Watt was Aaron Donald before Donald was in the league. Then he got injured 
a bunch of times. Came back and was always pretty close to that level. Never quite got back there, but was always, yeah, okay. Even even post-injury, J.J. Watt is one of the best uh, players in the NFL on the defensive line. And then last year was the first season we were like, wow, that was a big step back from where he normally is. And given his age and injury history, is that the start of a like a fairly precipitous decline or is that just a bad year? I mean, and still by far the best player in that front seven. When yeah. He's, when he's right next to Whitney Merciless and Charles Amenahue and Ross Blacklock. I mean, guys that just really struggled up front. And I was disappointed in the linebacker play. Zach Cunningham took a step back. Bernardrick McKinney was t- did take a step back before getting hurt. Cunningham had like a million tackles, though, so everybody thinks he was good. I love Zach Cunningham. You won't find a bigger Zach Cunningham fan than me, but he's been an excellent run defender who just, you know, blown gaps and missed tackles this year, which do count. I mean, it's the same linebacker discussion. People just count tackles and not negative plays. It's only occurred to me that you could use that. Like, you should use that all the time, you know? You won't find a bigger X than me because you're 6'10", you see? It's funny. Oh, oh, you just... Yeah. You, should, you, you should just drop that all the time, you know? Well, I'm the if, biggest whatever fan you're going to find. What if, like, the big show is a big Zach Cunningham fan? I mean, look, that's a risk you run, but what are the chances of that happening? I, we, like, how often are you and the big show in the same conversation? It's not often. Last year at this time, what a missed opportunity. I'm just saying, like, the average, the average person's height in this country is, like, 5'11". So I am the biggest. So you've got a lot, like you have a lot of room to, for that joke to work. Last year at this time, it was me, the big show and Shaq all in the same room. And we just, we couldn't get a picture. This is true. We could not get a picture during Super Bowl week. Anyway, the Texans need everything, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. So as crazy it is, and they don't want to trade Deshaun Watson, I think. Which is ridiculous, by the way. Like that they don't want to trade The damage has already been done. And then suddenly everybody that's in the building is like, Oh, yeah, we don't want to trade him. Why is that well, ridiculous? Because it, it, you've already burnt the bridge. doesn't matter. Of course it matters. You just He's pissed off. He wants out. You're going to be like, oh, that's not happening now. People. Then maybe you should have like mend, addressed that beforehand. Mend. You mend it. Good luck mending that bridge. The, the, Troy Aikman came out and said something similar. I saw, I saw it more paraphrased, not what Troy said, about how he wanted out in Dallas. Him and Jimmy were at odds. And, you know, Troy is suggesting that te- the Texans stick with him. Stick with him like Dallas stuck with me. It all worked out. That's They don't want to trade Deshaun Watson, which isn't crazy because of everything we just described. He's the second best asset in the NFL. Of course they don't want to trade him. Not wanting to trade him isn't the crazy part. And coming out and being like, oh, yeah, we now we don't want to trade you after you just did all the things that pissed him off that made him want to go out the door in the first place is the crazy part. Like, this would have been really easy to keep him on side to the point where he didn't want out in the first place. But instead, you went and like set fire to the guy's front lawn and then are are surprised that he wants to move house. And you're like, oh, well, what's your problem? I don't, we're not letting that happen. The point I was going to make is that they don't want to trade him, which is correct, in not wanting to trade him. But I'm curious how intrigued and Nick Casario might be seeing the glaring holes everywhere and saying, well, I don't know if I can get four first-rounders and a second-rounder. I can accelerate this process and we'll figure it out whatever about all the other offers right the texans should absolutely find out how high they can push the miami dolphins offer true because miami has all of the first round picks plus a bunch of high second round picks uh and tua and whatever you think about tua's projection and long-term ability and he's at least a quarterback that was taken in the top five that we are not sure can't be a viable NFL starter at this point. So if you're going to get rid of Deshaun Watson, 
That is as good a haul as you could possibly have. A potentially franchise-defining uh, draft or group of draft picks plus a potentially viable starting quarterback. Uh, so let's, okay, we don't want to trade him, but let's at least find out what that looks like. Oh, I would investigate yeah, because you have to be able to weigh it. You have to be able to do the analysis. What do we look like with Watson? What do we look like with Tua Plus or 15 picks or whatever it could be? on the other side let's go indianapolis colts now how hard could it be in this afc south pretty difficult it seems yeah can't, can't even can't even hold on to deshaun watson maybe uh colts obviously need a quarterback with philip rivers retiring uh we also went edge defender and receiver we've made the point many times it's a playoff caliber roster mm -hmm. other than qb and i think receiver on here is yeah the other the other big one it's an interesting roster actually because they do have some holes, but they're good. Yes. It's clearly good enough to get to the playoffs and potentially make some noise once they get there if they get the quarterback, which obviously is the biggest need. When Rivers isn't there, he was brought in as, as the guy. They are a quarterback away from making the playoffs. Rivers comes in, makes that leap, <laughs> then retires. Matthew Stafford made a lot of sense. The Colts will be in on every potentially available quarterback this entire offseason because they're in the same spot. The roster is good enough to win right now. They don't want to have to return to a Jacoby Brissett or whoever the new Jacoby Brissett will be. So they have to make a run at somebody and, and secure one of them. They, um, let's, Bill, it's Burt Breer's article where we're getting a lot of the information as far as what teams offered. The Colts did not offer their first round pick for Matthew Stafford. I don't know what else it was. I mean, I don't know if it was just a second, multiple seconds. Clearly, they're valuing their picks, and they're not going to go crazy in this quarterback market. Is that a mistake? You know, have they built up again enough of a roster st that Stafford would actually be more valuable for them, the Colts, than he would be for, say, the Rams, who are you know have a good roster. They feel like they're close, but they're kind of depleted in other places as far as draft capital goes. The Colts are also in a weird spot because they still have like all of the salary cap space. Remember, like last year, part of the DeForest Buckner deal was they basically needed to spend some money. Like there's a salary cap floor and the Colts were in danger of not even reaching it. So you trade your first round pick for a DeForest Buckner and that in and of itself is, um, is a big move, but you then have to pay DeForest Buckner and you make him the highest paid interior defender in the NFL. They, even after all that, they still have the second most set cap space in the NFL behind the Jags, who gutted their entire roster to rebuild this thing. They, they do. The Colts do feel like the team because when we cite free agent wide receivers, I know we're just we're working off the PFF free agency list, which has three players in the top four that are receivers, and we always mention Chris Godwin, Allen Robinson, and Kenny Galladay. I think Godwin gets franchised by the Bucks, knowing that the Lions are are rebuilding and that the the Bears probably I don't think Allen Robinson wants to go back to the Bears I think it's Robinson and Galladay that hit the open market of all the teams that could potentially grab one of these guys I mean the Colts man if they brought a Kenny Galladay in I mean they were, were the Colts sitting there in their office saying we give up multiple picks for Stafford pay the money to Kenny Galladay and what are we right now well also they I mean they they might be in a situation to do the same thing that they did a year ago which is, okay, we have a ton of camp space to play with. We have a couple of fairly significant needs. Um, let's take the first round pick, trade for somebody, give them the monster contract. Like, so the Tampa Bay Bucks might not want to let Chris Godwin leave. They'll franchise tag him, they'll keep him there. But if they franchise tag him, the Colts could easily say, 
well, we'll send our first-round pick in your direction. Let's do a deal on Chris Godwin. We'll pay him the money, the long-term contract, and that's our number one receiver now. Um, so Would they use that? For, they didn't want to use the first for Stafford. Right. I've brought up Derek Carr before. Would they try to trade for a Derek Carr? I mean, at some point, they're going to run out of QB options that are just comparable to Phillip Rivers. Yes. And I don't think they want to roll with a rookie no. with this roster. No. Like, do, um, you, do they want Mac Jones at the helm? And maybe long term, but they've got a win now proposition here potentially with all that again with all that money where i think they could throw it at a wide receiver or two some yeah, playmakers and presumably houston is not going to be trading deshaun watson within the division whatever about trading him in the first place so yeah they i mean stafford made a lot of sense for the colts and yet they didn't they weren't prepared to offer that first round pick which is certainly interesting because as much as there will be a lot of quarterback movement this offseason when you do start to look at the options like, there aren't that many that make a ton of sense for Indianapolis. I yeah, mean, so they might... <laughs> a Jameis or a Fitzpatrick would certainly be better than a Jacoby Brissett or insert rookie, probably. But They might have to get creative here. But it's still a distance behind a Stafford in terms of just knowing what your baseline is going to be. So you went quarterback, uh, defensive end, Justin Houston, not only getting old, but he's hitting free agency. The Colts have put a bunch of second-round draft capital at the defensive end position with Kaboko Tarai, Tequan Lewis, and Ben Banigou. Haven't really gotten great return from any of that. I mean, those guys, they've been solid. They've, they've built a good defensive line rotation. They've built uh, Grover Stewart has developed on the interior. DeForest mm -hmm. Buckner, who you mentioned, they brought in. But having a true impact edge defender would absolutely uh, be a big help for this defense. And again, circling back to wide receiver, it's uh, Zach Pascal and Michael Pittman and um, the Ohio State Ohio State kid who I'm not seeing right now. First, um, Paris Campbell, who they drafted a couple uh. years ago. Like those guys, all good complementary pieces. Pittman's a good big body possession type. I don't think he's your. You'd rather have a, a more a true a better player, right? You'd rather him not be your number one. Yeah. T. Y. Hilton or Ty hitting <laughs> free agency right now. So yeah, they definitely need a receiver. Yes, they need to replace what T.Y. Hilton used to bring to them. And I'm not even sure that he brings it anymore, but that's the spot that they need to find as a wide receiver. Hey guys, life is full of questions. Like what would happen to my family if something happened to me? Am I saving enough for retirement? And is now the right time to start thinking about life insurance, just to name a few. No one should have to settle for answers to these life-altering questions that involve gray areas or leaving things to chance. And with Western and Southern, you won't have to. Backed by over 130 years of experience gathering insights, building strategies, and helping customers choose the right solutions, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. All right, staying in the AFC South, Jacksonville Jaguars, QB, edge defender, and cornerback. They're another team I think need everything. everything especially on the defensive side of the ball. I like I like their young receiving talent. But yeah, they've got a lot of work to do. QB, obviously, and they're almost certainly going to get Trevor Lawrence to yeah. shore that up at least. Yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be answered, assuming Trevor Lawrence is the answer that, that solves quarterback um, and then <laughs> everything else. Uh, yeah, they this is they gutted the roster. We, we said it a bit before. They, they loaded up for this. They tanked for Trevor Lawrence. They got him. 
now the rest of the roster is in ribbons. Um, there's a bunch of young players that might develop into something, even on defense. C.J. Henderson played pretty well right off the bat and then kind of waned as the season went on. Um, there, you know, Caleb on chase on came on a little bit stronger towards the end, but you wouldn't exactly look at his rookie season and say, hey, things are heading in the right direction. We're good. Josh Allen it was better this year before um, he got injured and got shut down. So pick a spot. They can draft somebody. They can hit free agency. They've got the most cap space in the entire NFL. They can upgrade everywhere. This will be interesting because Urban hasn't really done a whole lot of rebuilding. You know, he kind of like stepped into Ohio State. I mean, he's he's crafty too. Urban's really good at knowing. Crafty, like he got out of Florida. He had Tebow. And then he had John Brantley who underachieved. Former Gator. <laughs> underachieved a little bit. And then he got out. Ah, stressed out. Yeah. Why are you stressed out? I got no more good players. Yeah, that's stressful. Right? Yeah. And then he goes to Ohio State. You know, steps in. I think he went undefeated his first season when they were, uh, you know, they had the uh, sanctions. And he won a lot, and he's great at bringing in good players, but he's never really rebuilt. But to your point, with all they've got extra draft capital, theoretically, extra first. that's not his job, right? No, it's not. But you know, you have you have influence there, sure. And I think, I think they have a chance to just add a lot, whether it's free agency plus the extra draft capital that they do have, to potentially compete right away. So I think they're going to try to do that rather than saying, "Yeah, we'll see you in three years." Yeah. I think they're going to try to balance that and do both. I'm curious if – so remember when the Browns were in the middle of their complete teardown and rebuild, and the idea was once Baker Mayfield was – I mean, clearly in rookie in year one, once Baker Mayfield was clearly the guy, it's like, oh, wow, we've actually found a quarterback for the first time in God knows how long, quickly deploy all of the resources – trade for Odell Beckham Jr., bring in, like, whatever you do, just hit everything to try and put as good a team around this guy as quickly as possible that we can. And then obviously everything fell apart the next year, and now we're seeing the, the sort of fruits of that. Is Trevor Lawrence a sure enough thing, do you think, that you can do that immediately just assuming he's going to be that good? So instead of waiting to see, you know, have we actually found the quarterback and that then we can deploy all these resources? Like, if you're Jacksonville, do you go out and throw all of the money at a Kenny Galladay in free agency and make a big trade and start assembling, like, what you think is a, a good roster around the quarterback that you know Trevor Lawrence is going to be without taking a beat to check that Trevor Lawrence is actually that guy in year one? That's an interesting one. I mean, I... I, I do want to see another receiver there. You know, I want everybody to have good receivers. But DJ Chark, nice deep threat. LaVisca Chenault, a nice, you know, other piece. And then, boom, get another get another top receiver. That would help Trevor. Nice tight end to throw to. But you're right, up and down the roster. Um, I think they need to spend a little bit more time on the defensive side of the ball. Find a corner to start opposite TJ Henderson. And, uh, you know, start there. Uh, edge defenders, yes, you're right. They, like, they need development from those guys, too. And I wonder how much Urban extracts out of Calevon and Josh Allen the edge and uh, the Jaguars are going to be a fascinating team for the first time in a long time or at least since 2017 Kansas City Chiefs yes they're heading to the Super Bowl let's still talk offseason did you know needs. by the way that Tyler Eifert has now gone back-to-back -back seasons without really getting hurt yeah it's crazy I mean he's, Problem not, is same, he's not good anymore. he's not that great yeah. anymore so he's staying healthy he's just you know an okay tight end Kansas City Chiefs guard edge defender in linebacker 
and I might even argue wide receiver. Oh wow. Gotta look to the future here if you're the Chiefs. You know, you don't wanna you don't wanna get to a point where either Tyreek Hill gets hurt or Travis Kelsey gets hurt or those guys regress or something and it's like, well, Patrick, you're still special. You know, make everybody good. You'd rather have really good well, critically, playmakers. you know what you don't want? You don't want to ever have an answer as to how much of the receiving group and Andy Reid and how much of all those things are are making are impacting Patrick Mahomes and how much of it is just him. Right. In, in an ideal world, the Kansas City Chiefs never find out how much of this is Mahomes and how much of it is the receiving core and Andy Reid and everything else that's around him. In an ideal world, those things are always there, and therefore Patrick Mahomes is always amazing because he never has to do it all by himself. But there's a pretty good chance that at some point they're like, "Yeah, you know what? It's Patrick Mahomes. We can we can afford to go in a different direction and not replace a Tyreek Hill or a Travis Kelsey. He'll be the first one to go." See, we'll see what happens at the Super Bowl. There, there's the big narrative for the Super Bowl, which we will preview on um, Thursday. Thursday. Sorry, somebody posted something. Um, we'll, we'll preview it on Thursday, and we'll talk about the offensive line. Mike Remmers is starting at left tackle, and it's, it's not the best-looking offensive line on paper. It's a huge storyline for the Super Bowl. If the offensive line gets beat up and it affects Mahomes, we're going to be going into the offseason saying, okay, this is what they need to shore up. Mitchell Schwartz, Schwartz got hurt. Eric Fisher got hurt. Everybody got hurt. Everybody or, got or hurt. Or opted out. Right? Right? So they're, they're not they, – they need to – they need to fix the offensive line because Mahomes just can't function. Now, if he goes behind this offensive line and still tears it up like he probably will, um, we'd probably say they, they might treat the offensive line a lot like Seattle did with Russell Wilson and say, yeah. ah, maybe we don't need to invest here a whole lot. Mahomes, magic, you know, he won't get sacked. He'll get rid of the ball. He'll break tackles and do the whole deal. Let's just give him scary playmakers his whole career. I, I think, honestly, I think this weekend's game will dictate a lot of how the Chiefs handle their team building in future years and what they think they should do around Mahomes. Yeah, and they're they're in this spot now of having to make these kinds of decisions. When you hand the quarterback the half-a-billion-dollar contract, you're now going to have to make some difficult decisions. You don't have all the money in the world to construct a perfect roster, so you're going to have to figure out where to nip and tuck and save costs and not put all of your resources. And I think you're right. There's a If you're Kansas City, I think even independent of how this works out the smart moves would be to say let's make sure we have resources to always have a Tyree Kill and a Travis Kelsey and you know some elite receivers for this guy to throw to if that means we don't have a great defense top to bottom okay if it means we can't put particularly good offensive linemen in front of him eh, all right that's one's a little more worrying but like it's probably worth the risk um so, yeah, I think you're right that it would be easy to say they've got Tyreek Hill, they've got Travis Kelsey. Beyond that, who the hell cares? But that's probably a mistake. Let's make sure that we never um, run into a position where one of those guys goes down and now you have an offense that's basically got one weapon yeah, and, and is concerning outside of that. And Hill and Kelsey have been like 80% of their offense right. this postseason. And you look at there have been games – through Sammy Watkins' career where he stepped up and had a huge game. And, and he'll you know, be a free agent. So if he walks away and you don't trust Miko Hardman to step into that expanded role, the question then becomes, okay, one of those guys goes down, 
do you then have the Sammy Watkins to step up when everybody like triple teams the other guy? Right. So I, I think continuing to attack at playmaker, even though your list is offensive guard, yes. I mean, I think it's a position they have to look at. Edge defender, yes, you want a guy. Frank Clark hasn't been all that productive as a pass rusher. You do want another threat there to help Chris Jones on the interior. And then linebacker seems like this annual issue. We'll see, you know, I don't know if Willie Gay's the option going forward. He's out of the Super Bowl uh, with an injury. They've tried Anthony Hitchens. You just want a little bit more coverage versatility, I think, at linebacker there, which is fair. I think cornerbacks another place. You know, the Tra- Traverius Ward and Bashad Bashad Breeland have been okay, but another place where they could add more depth. Legarius Sneed has stepped in, but I think continuing to attack there would be smart mm-hmm. for the Chiefs. Uh, let's go to the Raiders. Edge defender, interior defensive line, and safety. Mike Mayock just came out and mentioned the other day they don't have any impact players on defense. Did not have any impact players on defense, which Cold. I think is. True, but true. Cold. Um, so whose fault do you think that is? They got rid of Khalil Mack. Mm. Now I don't know if that's the biggest issue. My question: it, Look, the Raiders have. I didn't hate their strategy from a team building standpoint defensively. They threw a lot of things. They yes, they didn't have any stars, but you'd try to pay for Corey Littleton and Lamarcus Joyner, and you draft some guys. I, they got a whole bunch of solid players. It should have worked out a little bit better. <laughs> But they do lack impact on the defensive side of the ball, which is why that's the need. This is the risk of just following um, just following the data in terms of Ooh. what you should do from a team-building standpoint because all the analytics says the Raiders won the Khalil Mack trade. What you got back in return for Khalil Mack was worth significantly more than Khalil Mack, even playing at the peak of his powers the way he was uh, for the Raiders before he I mean I don't this year I guess you would say he's played at that level for Chicago um, but hasn't really been as productive there as he was in Oakland as it was um, but the point is none of that means anything unless you actually hit on the players you get with the draft picks so if you if you miss across the board with the entire haul that you got in for Khalil Mack all you did is offload Khalil Mack from your roster and from your salary cap which is something but it's not but the alternative was winning had, trade you had khalil mack you didn't have those lottery tickets which in theory could have hit i know they didn't i mean they weren't terrible but they did nothing was you know a massive impact and you just have khalil mack and you have more holes on your defense like trayvon mullins at least a solid starter at corner potentially um I, so i think the bigger issue is at defensive end cleveland furl max crosby they look better if there's a secondary that can cover if they have an actual good group of corners as a starting point and a base and Trayvon Mullen yeah he's okay he's, he's got flashes you know has flashes Damon Arnett don't have high expectations for him wasn't great as a rookie I mean that's the issue I think with the Raiders is starting in the secondary uh, and then you get disappointment with you know Corey Littleton at linebacker this year as a free agent but it starts in the secondary and then Furl and Crosby and you know, Maurice Hurst up front, they don't look as bad when you have guys that could, you know, cover receivers for an extra split second or two. Yeah, I mean, I, I think ultimately, however you're constructing a roster, <laughs> you need to actually nail talent acquisition. Like, whatever your strategy is, true. if you continually swing and miss, it's bad. And that's where the Raiders are right now, is that, what? as I say, technically they won the Khalil Mack trade, but when you taught it all up you know those uh, retrospectives where you look back in a trade and you work out who all the picks were and then you evaluate who won and lost 
when you do that with the Raiders, it's not going to look good. They Everything they got for the Khalil Mack trade has not gone well, and they just haven't done well in terms of um, talent acquisition. So right now, defense for them, period, is just a wreck. That's where the they need to move the needle. That's where they need to get significantly better. And that means fixing the things that they've gotten wrong so far. You need to actually start hitting on some of these uh, moves because that's the problem. The one other – so, look, the the other issue with team building too is sometimes when you just have to attack one side of the ball, the you neglect the other side of the ball. The offense was much better this year, much more efficient. Carr played pretty solid. Uh, you added a Henry Ruggs and a Nelson Aguilar who is hitting free agency. But either way, it's just saying the offense was good, right? And the defense was poor. But they still need help offensively as well, which is – Man, they've they've got a lot of work to do. They they honestly just need some of the previous moves to pay off more. Like they need Corey Littleton to play better. They need Trayvon Mullen to take the next step in year three at corner. They need some of the previous moves that don't look good to actually improve for them to take the next step while adding all this other talent defensively. And Ruggs would be the obvious one for the offense. Like sure. if, if Ruggs can step in and do what Aguilar was doing this year, right. which was supposed to be what Ruggs was yeah. doing this year. Average eighteen a catch, be a deep threat. That that moves the needle hugely on offense. So defensive side of the ball, and yeah, again, not to sound like a broken record, that's what I do, uh, you got to beat the Chiefs. And to have <laughs> to have a, to be trotting out a secondary that, yes, they slowed down Mahomes in one game and held him to 30 points and pulled off a win, they're not really equipped to slow down the Chiefs week after week. Ironically, after yeah. Ironically, they did beat the Chiefs and just couldn't beat enough other people. Yeah, ironically. Los Angeles Chargers also need to beat the Chiefs in the AFC West interior defensive line what 10th straight year of that as a need for the Chargers tight end because Hunter Henry's a free agent and then interior of the offensive line 10th straight year that they've needed that as well Chargers still trying to uh, make strides in the trenches they was it last podcast we talked about the Minnesota Vikings <laughs> just consistent and total inability to evaluate offensive linemen for years now, regardless of how they've attempted to do it. They should team up and form a club with the Chargers, um, who have had the same problem as well. Phillip Rivers, for his entire career, never had a good offensive line in front of him. They just could not find offensive linemen that were any good. And the Chargers have tried a lot of different things in the offensive line. Just cannot get plus play there. I don't know what it is, but the Chargers and the Vikings cannot evaluate offensive linemen correctly and have therefore had this problem spot for years now they found a quarterback you know justin herbert looked amazing year one looks like the answer there he was able to do some incredible things under pressure was i think the number one graded quarterback in the nfl under pressure we know that's not a stable thing we know that fluctuates year to year and next year he will almost certainly be significantly worse under pressure so to offset that inevitable regression you have to reduce the amount of pressure he's under, which involves getting better offensive linemen, which is something you've been very bad at in the past. Oh, the poor Chargers, man. I mean, I didn't even think they made the wrong moves. They traded for Trey Turner, or try, last year. And he comes out with by far his worst season. I mean, you thought you were getting a solid guard. I don't think they misevaluated. But they traded a decent tackle to make that happen. Now, the actual trade of Russell Okung is a good, solid tackle who is also a free agent right now. And we've seen tackles play into their late 30s and still play pretty well. Jason Peters, Andrew Whitworth, 
Russell Okung is a good, solid tackle. In the creep-back-toward-average world, Okung is valuable. And I'm not saying the trade itself was right, but you got a guy back in Trey Turner who's at least solid. And he goes and posts a grade of 34.8, Sam. And they bring in Brian Bulaga. We loved this move at the time, right? I mean, I mean, I like injury risk guys, right? You just <laughs> hope that they're going to play. All right, he got hurt again. But, but when he played, it was also the worst grade of his career too. So I don't know if they're just not evaluating. Like they brought in a guy in Trey Turner and gave, you know, in, in Bulaga and they had their worst seasons. So they're not evaluating well as far as drafting players but even when they bring in veterans man they're getting the worst out of all of them so which again is the same as the vikings like you bring in a mike remmers you're like oh he's a solid player okay you're overpaid for him but at least you guaranteed to solidify that yeah. spot nope uh, remmers was I awful liked, the vikings moves were right again in our world of like just be okay well that's what i'm Having saying mike remmers and riley reef as your tackle is the epitome of okay there's something about these teams and they're like their inability to evaluate these guys properly i i don't know if it's not when you see the you know you see what should be a solid player playing somewhere else and you say okay let's bring that guy in oh sure we've got to overpay for him a bit but it's because the offensive line has been a wreck here let's just guarantee something and then somehow you miss the idea that like that guy was a product of where he was and when you move him to your indian burial ground of an offensive line the whole thing goes to hell i i do not understand why both those teams can't find offensive linemen. So interior D-line, interior offensive line. Tight end's an interesting one because Hunter Henry, one of the better receiving tight ends in the league. You want to have as many weapons as possible around Justin Herbert. We'll see if they try to bring Henry back or they don't have to go elsewhere, either yeah. in the draft or other free agents potentially. All right, Miami Dolphins. You went interior O-line, edge defender, and wide receiver. Yes. Um, I think so a lot of people will say their offensive line is fine it's good in fact um i think it's worse than it looked uh i think they did a lot of things to protect the offensive line that are similar to what they were doing to protect the quarterback those things are symbiotic um and i know that they loaded up with a bunch of young talent on the offensive line and in particular you know austin jackson was a tackle in the first round that we always thought would be a more of a project player his transition to the nfl would be more bumpy than the other first-round tackles who almost all played extremely well. That being said, he's a first-round tackle. They're not going to give up on him after year one with the possible exception of getting a shot at like a Panay Sewell, you know? And that would then become a really interesting discussion because Robert Hunt on the other side was actually the better of the two tackles as a rookie. Right. So now what do you do if you draft a Sewell? Do you put Austin Jackson on the bench or do you put the better player on the bench and say first-round pick takes precedence he's going to start at right tackle. I mean, anyway, Hunt, Hunt could play guard if needed as well. Um, I think tackle will be, will be okay. Or tackle is taken care of by the fact that you have a guy that played okay in Robert Hunt and a guy that was a first-round pick and will therefore get year two to show. Um, the interior was just weaker. Um, and I know that they've got some young players there as well, but they could do, could do with an upgrade. Uh, defensive end another interesting one it is the Patriots level or Patriots type of system or maybe it's not looking for elite edge rushers but uh, you still want guys that can win one-on-one -on -one, and they didn't really have that last year especially given the investment that they that they that they made in the secondary last year bringing in a Byron Jones at corner and having Xavier Howard on the other side you know being able to get a little bit more pressure 
uh, beyond uh, Emmanuel Ogba and Kyle Van Noy and Christian Wilkins up front uh, would absolutely would, would absolutely help the Dolphins. Receiver-wise, though, it is interesting. We talk about weapons a lot. It is interesting how different their weapons look when Fitz was out there, kind of giving guys an opportunity to make plays versus Tua, who wasn't as aggressive, didn't throw the ball downfield as much. Fitz definitely got the most out of Devontae Parker, Mike Gesicki, but no matter who the quarterback is, you still would like to have other options there. They have at least three receivers that play into that style of, you know, YOLO passing. Um, Parker, Preston Williams, and Gasecki, I think, are all receivers that would do better with a quarterback that's willing to just put the ball in their general area code and hope they make a play at the catch point. Yeah, for sure. Tua is more suited to the Alabama style of receiver where those guys are going to be five yards open every single play and he's accurate enough to just <laughs> put true. it on them. But you know, like, yes, that sounds ridiculous in terms of, of course, the quarterback is going to look good when he's throwing to a guy with five yards of separation, but there are quarterbacks for whom that will help more than others. Like, Fitzpatrick I, doesn't care if the guy's open. He's going to throw it in his general direction anyway. I will say, like, one of the skill sets I think quarterbacks have, everybody talks about throwing with anticipation, but I think there's value in the ability to see something and then just put it where you want. I thought yeah. that was one of the best things Tua did. Right. It might, it's not that he was playing slow, but sometimes he wanted to confirm this guy's open. And then when he did, okay, boom, he put it where he wanted accurately. And, and he, that is... And, and I, don't think he's, I don't think he's great at anticipating guys or throwing guys open the way a Fitz would be. Um, so, yeah, you, I, I think when you're looking for receivers for the Dolphins, you always say get the guys who get open. Yes, get the guys who are going to create more separation because I do think that also plays to two a skill set, to your point. The, everyone sort of talks about how it's such, an easy, it's such an easy environment being that Alabama quarterback where everybody's wide the hell open every single play that when you get to the NFL level, you're just going to be – it's, it's it creates this sort of myth and it's not an accurate portrayal of how good that player is. But the other thing is it probably makes the transition to the NFL level harder for that guy because yeah. – He's, we, we've talked before about how the, you know, the, this is NFL open, right? It's not college open. Peyton You're not going to tell the Peyton Manning story right. again, are you? Well, I'm just saying that Peyton Manning had to get instructed on, like, this guy is actually open at the NFL right. level, and he had to relearn how to read and therefore target the right guy. Imagine then coming from Alabama, where a guy is like five, ten yards open every single play, and you have to now look up and see a guy who's covered in your world and decide that that guy is open and throw him the ball. It's it's the same way for every college player, but for Alabama, it's worse because they're further open. So for somebody that you would have immediately looked up and said, that guy's covered, forget it, move on to the guy that's open, you now have to adjust your entire thought process and decide to throw that guy the ball at the NFL level. I'm just saying that, it yes, while it benefited them all the way through their college career and potentially made him a, a higher draft pick than he could have been otherwise, it also probably makes his adjustment period in the NFL a longer and harder one. So when he does hesitate in year one and does look slower and process slower than you expected him to be, that's probably part of it. Yeah, it's a good point. And I think that's why the Bama receivers, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, I think they're in play for the Dolphins in the first round. Maybe not at three, but um, potentially the, their second first round pick. Waddell, Smith. Kadarius Tony, Tony, Rondell Moore. I think those guys fit. And Rashad Bateman, guys who are just good route runners who are going to create some separation for Tua, unless they go and get Deshaun Watson.
if you're the Dolphins. All right, New England Patriots, their biggest needs. QB, wide receiver, and tight end. Yeah. The entire passing attack Yeah, needs help. The QB and the guy he needs to throw to. Okay, um, so there were reports from Tom Curran, friend of the show, New England beat writer for many years. It's He, he reported that Matthew Stafford was open to a trade, but not to New England. Hmm. Your Why thoughts? Why would that be? Could it be that they have recently hired a coach that came from Detroit, didn't have a great time there? Is it because of Patricia? Is it because the weapons are terrible? Is it because he doesn't actually want to play for Belichick? <laughs> I, yeah. I, I've seen people make this point, too, that when – you remember when everybody was taking hometown discounts or just taking discounts to go to New England to win a championship? Yeah. Just to bring up the Brady versus Belichick thing again, people have made the point that, well, they wanted to go play with Tom. Yeah. Just like Antonio Brown did, just like Gronk did. Like, they want to go play with Tom, well, wherever he is, okay. not so much play for Belichick. Of course, it's together. It's that's, the whole system, yeah, the program. That's probably but. the same argument as, like, which one was the reason they were winning the Super Bowls. It's like, it's, it's all of it together. When all of it was together, they were the favorites, the prohibitive favorites to win any given Super Bowl the next year. Therefore, if you're looking at where you want to go in free agency, I want to go to the place that's going to win the ring. They always win the ring, so I'm going to New England which one was the bigger percentage of that is irrelevant the point is now it isn't like now next year the Bra the patriots are not anywhere near the favorites to win the super bowl therefore why would i want to like i'm not why would i choose yeah, because them? they don't have a quarterback but you're also but if you're the quarterback that doesn't want to go you don't you're the quarterback that doesn't want to go there but that never came up you know they never had like the, there was never a quarterback who had to make a decision about where he wanted to go true oh, i'm going to go to new england because they've got tom brady and pay and uh Bill Belichick, and we'll win a Super Bowl. But you have Tommy in Tampa bringing but all his friends down there. What I'm saying is now, yeah, now if you're d evaluating where you want to go to win a Super Bowl, like nobody is choosing New England over Kansas City or apparently Tampa Bay. Like they're just not, they're not going to win. So why would I, why would I go there over somebody else? It um, is, so their, their win now, everybody expects the Patriots to compete, right? They just expect that. Bel Belichick gives you a baseline of success in their defense. Their win now options at quarterback just got a little slimmer with Matthew Stafford off the market. Yeah. They're in a similar spot to the Colts where they desperately need a starting quarterback, but the options are not amazing. Um, they probably don't have the ammunition to be in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, even if that's an option. Um which puts them in the market for one of these, you know, lower tier quarterbacks. They're almost certainly going to attack receiver and tight end this offseason, right? Have I mean, to. Like last season, it seemed like a massive need. They had just invested a first rounder in Nikhil Harry. You can almost ex say, okay, you've got Julian Edelman and you're going to invest in Nikhil Harry and Jacoby Myers has developed. Like you could talk your in yourself into the high end of all these guys. Last year, yeah. Will work okay. But this year, Belichick has done a good job through the years as a team builder, identifying weaknesses and, and attacking it. And it's he hasn't been he's been conservative in some ways, but in other ways, it's like he went out and got a Stephon Gilmore at corner and Darrell Rivas at corner. He traded a first rounder for Brandon Cooks. Like they they traded for Andy Moss. Like they've made moves to shore up weaknesses before. I'm assuming they're going to look at receiver and or tight end and say. We need two. Or, we need at least two or three guys right now. Yeah, to make this situation better as far as playmakers. And that's a, they've they still made moves recently. It's just that none of them worked out. 
Like they took a swing at uh, Antonio Brown when he was in Mohamed Sanu. Yeah, yeah, they drafted sure. or traded for Mohamed Sanu. They send a first round pick, their first for years, uh, on a wide receiver in Nikhil Harry. It's just that none of those moves may worked out, and they were already walking that sort of tightrope of uh, depth at that at the positions, receiver and tight end. That as soon as one or two of those moves stopped working out, the whole house of cards came crumbling down. So. You're right. Now, what becomes interesting is now they don't need to just make one move. They need to completely overhaul the thing. So they need to throw a bunch of they they need to attack receiver and tight end in both free agency and the draft and or trades. And I don't know if they're willing to do that, particularly when they still need to find a quarterback. Yeah, and they just you know they drafted two third round tight ends. I don't I don't think they're attached to Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene, but I think they'd be okay rolling with them if they had better receiving talent at least as a starting point so another fascinating offseason in new england last year i wrote the story in the draft that it was just kind of business as usual coming out of the draft for new england i don't which was you got a safety here and a hybrid player there like they need impact players in new england particularly on offense it can't be business as usual this year so it's gonna be an interesting one well i mean asiasi's uh like his curve is heading upwards he got his first two catches in uh, week 17 so oh so he's you project that forward and you're you're flying it's a hundred catch guy right next year all right let's go to the new york jets qb picking at number two overall so almost assuredly assuredly going to be drafting a qb unless they which is talk themselves into sam darnold which is sounding possible (laughs) there's a lot of people talking up sam darnold from that building which is good for trading him maybe you would hope i i mean look if i took the jets job this offseason i would say all sorts of beautiful things about sam darnold he's young he's only 19 years old still right I mean, he's he's gonna get better the problem yeah i agreed but there's also a lot of analysts out there that still love sam darnold you're the biggest of them steve um there's a lot of analysts out there that think that Sam Darnold is just in a cra- or has just been in a crappy situation. You, you piece all those things back together, and he's still an elite talent at quarterback, and he's the guy that's going to get it done. I liked Sam Darnold. I think I think he has done some good things. I think he's been in a horrible situation. Yeah, I will I will talk about Sam Darnold. He might even be a top thirty two QB in the world. Mm. Okay, the same phrase I use for Jameis and for Mariota. Uh, and for Andy Dalton, they might be in the top 32. Trubisky's potentially in the top 32, maybe closer to 40. I just, I don't want Sam Darnold to be, I don't want to be the guy that has to start him. That's I, all. That's I, that's where I am with him. If he's my backup, great. I'm in the same world as I am with Drew Locke, which is I can... Top comp- 32 in the world? Drew? <laughs> is he better than Darnold? No. I don't think so either. Uh, no to both questions. No, he's not in the top 32, and no, he's not Ben. I think Darnold Darnold might be 32 right now. But but the potential for Darnold is to get to like 20, 15? My point is, I think there there is a world where Darnold does put it all together and you get a good quarterback out of it. The problem is that at this point, how could you possibly put all of your chips on that? Like, you're playing the percentages whenever you're talking about team building and strategy going forward, and this is the most important position – in the game, you have the number two overall pick. You should have had the number one overall pick. You don't. You've got the number two overall pick. What are what has a better chance of being true? That the number two overall pick, Justin Fields or Zach Wilson or whoever it is, is going to be a quality starting quarterback, or that 
the mess that is Sam Darnold right now is going to turn it all around and become a better quarterback than that guy. I would say the chances, if you're just playing the odds, the chances have to be better that the rookie is good right out of the gate, particularly when we, what we've seen from rookies in recent years. They have been reasonably good um, and better than expectation for the most part. I just I, I think you can definitely talk yourself into the idea that Sam Darnold can be piece banked together and reclaimed and turned good. I just don't think it could possibly be the, the more likely of the outcomes you have available to you, at which point rolling with that as a strategy just seems like a bad move. You summed it up well. That's it. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. I would rather take the shot on a Zach Wilson or a Justin Fields, be in my QB of the future, than like drafting another tackle or, or whatever it might be. I mean, if they were going to trade down for a massive haul and then know that maybe you're not building around Sam Donald, but you're doing this whole like put the pieces in place and we'll get to the quarterback when we get to him, I, I would understand that as a strategy. But you don't always get to pick number two overall. Yeah. And when you pick number two overall and there's a QB of the caliber of Zach Wilson or Justin Fields, you at least have to take that chance. This was the argument, and it's not a great argument based off how the quarterbacks have panned out, but this was the argument that we were making a couple of years ago with the New York Giants. For Sam Darnold. Yes. Um, it's like, when, when was the last time you picked number two overall? It doesn't happen that often. So don't turn down the chance at taking the quarterback. It doesn't mean that you'll hit it, which they didn't. Like It doesn't mean that guy will work out, but you shouldn't pass up that opportunity. It's too good so, a chance because of the draft position. Sh should I come off my priors then and say, a couple of years ago, I thought the Giants made a mistake by not picking Sam Darnold. Now, do I look like an idiot because Sam Darnold hasn't panned out? Oh, therefore, no, look who they picked. Eh, forget about the Saquon Barkley thing, but they were right to not pick Sam Darnold, right? Just that particular decision was right to not pick Sam Darnold. Maybe they should have picked Josh Allen. There you go. But they were right to not pick Sam Darnold. Or it's you comes comes back to you have to keep swinging at QB. You just Whether Zach Wilson or Justin Fields is the guy or not, there's a chance that they are, and you have to keep swinging and then build the pieces around that. And the he, Jets do have other pieces to build, which includes cornerback and edge defender. Corner is a massive one that they need yeah. to attack. You have to accept the quarterback is um, – it's not still not easy to find a new starting quarterback and when you need one you have to keep going sometimes you're going to miss and okay that sucks but keep reloading you can't allow the fact that it's hard to find a quarterback prevent you from trying again when you mess it up the first time like there's this tendency mike renner wrote an article about it like teams talk themselves into bad quarterbacks mm. because they still haven't found one so you don't want to restart you don't want to go oh man we really screwed that up last time. We've got to do the whole thing again. And if we screw it up again, everyone's getting fired. I, the alternative is we, you, you think you, you talk yourself in to keep going with the guy that already failed. Like, that's not going to go any better. Is if, it? if you're the Chicago Bears, it's not going to go better for you to talk yourself into Trubisky than it is to accept that you missed on Trubisky and try and do better the next time. Like, that's not going to be a better solution. So for Sam Darnold, I don't like, he hasn't shown you anything to suggest that he can be the guy. So don't talk yourself into the idea that he is Agreed. just because you missed. Like, swing again. Is it even worse that the Rams re-upped Jared Goff after his peak? I mean, it's like it's like going all in on Bitcoin when it's at its peak, Sam. It is. The, I mean, the Jared Goff contract was bad, but understanding that he then crapped out and we need to get the hell away from that is way smarter than staying longer with a quarterback that hasn't done it.
but that it's like but it's the same thing you know we've talked about this qb market and how hard is it to find a jared goff how hard is it to find a sam Darnold in today's nfl how difficult is it to find those guys and if that's the case don't pay them just find yeah, the agreed. next you know but once get you have Marcus Mariota in there but once you've already sunk that cost don't you agree that it's a far better decision to take on the highest dead cap hit in NFL history and get rid of that guy yeah, yeah. than it is to keep talking yourself into the idea that Jared Goff could yes. turn it around and be a top five quarterback sometime in the future yes I agree right so that's that. a smarter thing to do than these teams that took a swing at a quarterback and can't talk themselves out of the fact that that guy isn't the guy you thought he was going to be bottom line for the Jets I think they have the same holes that they had last year they took some strides at wide receiver they took some strides on the offensive line still an issue cornerback massive issue got to figure out QB first that is the Jets yep go all in and get to Sean Watson all right a couple more teams in the AFC Pittsburgh Steelers what a fascinating place they are in right now QB it is a need because we either don't know what Ben Roethlisberger is going to do and we also just don't know what he has left yeah interior o-line really the entire offensive line needs help and running back you put running back as a need Hmm. remember so like last year at this time Steelers fans were talking about hey let's use our first pick which is in the second round on uh on a running back that's the missing piece yeah and and if if they had done that man the holes would look even bigger along the roster here yeah um I think critically, whether Roethlisberger is the quarterback or not, you need to start looking at quarterback. Like this is whether or not he is either you need a succession plan pretty immediately. Like if he's playing, he's playing one more year. Uh, Or even if he plays one more year, the way he was playing this season for periods, there's a chance that you might have to go to the rookie next year anyway. Like if you draft Roethlisberger's replacement uh, as your first pick, and Roethlisberger plays six games of like atrocious play, you might have to be like, okay, the rookie succession plan is accelerated. Let's throw him in there. It's interesting because I've, you know, I've been doing mock drafts for years and I've always been the guy that said the class of 2004, the Rivers, Roethlisberger, Eli class, they, those teams should have been looking for their next QB for like four or five years now. Just have that in hand. And the Giants didn't until they had the opportunity and then they draft Daniel Jones. The Chargers didn't really have a great plan and then they got in position to draft justin herbert the steelers on the other hand kind of keep winning other than the one year where big ben got hurt yeah so they haven't really been in position they they went like 500 and they still went 500 with with the uh mason and duck so (laughs) they haven't really been in position to look to the future other than you know you throw a third rounder at mason rudolph great i mean that's that's a good move that's what you should do is is grab those third rounders and everything so now they're in the spot where the entire offensive line, Ali Villanueva, Villanueva is a free agent. Uh, Marquise Pouncey all but assuredly going to be retiring. So you need offensive line help. The defense, have they peaked essentially the last couple of years being one of the league's best? Can they even maintain that? Cornerback's going to need an overhaul. Mike Hilton's going to be a free agent. Joe Hayden's do a ton of money. They've got cap issues, and they have no idea what they have in Big Ben. Should they just treat this offseason as the first step in the rebuild maybe somebody wants to take on big ben maybe the maybe the patriots want to take big ben for a year hmm. and save him first do the do the steelers go full rebuild at i mean i don't point? think they're get there's no way they would move on from big ben in those terms um he said he wants to restructure he's got a massive yeah, yeah. cap hit he wants to restructure and, and, and the problem is as long as he's your quarterback you can't rebuild like you can't <laughs> 
there's no way you can sort of say, all right, this is the first year of the succession plan and the, the rebuild and the overhaul we're going to have to do while you have your old quarterback coming back for one last go-around. You do what the Saints did, which is we have to keep kicking the can down the road and loading up for as many one more more goes as Roethlisberger wants to take. Um, so I, but I think unlike the Saints, who are just like, we'll figure out a quarterback at the end of this thing sometime, you know, we got this guy, Taysom Hill, he might be able to do it. Like, I think you most franchises should probably have a better succession plan in place than that. And that's where the Steelers are right now. Man, they just – available cap space right now. Saints, of course, in a special world. How uh, negative are they? $112 million <laughs> for the Saints. <laughs> it's interesting that the teams that are in the worst situation also didn't – well – some teams won, some teams didn't. Saints, 112. You know, you know what my favorite thing about that is? They're $112 million in the hole, negative salary cap space, but only 380000 of dead cap space. It's yeah. not even like they're buried under a world of dead cap hell. They're just... <laughs> it's, it's great. So the, so the Saints are the worst at 112 over, per over the cap. Eagles, 53. Falcons, 36. And then the Steelers at 34. It, it, so if you're the Saints, you're like, oh, I know how I got here. Yeah, we made a Super Bowl run. <laughs> if you're the Eagles, like you kind of tried to make a run. It didn't always work out. If you're the Falcons or the Steelers, you're like, man, I just... Well, if you're the Falcons, you lost a lot of football to get to this point. If you're the Steelers, you kind of understand too. You made a run and you're in trouble now. There is $185 million between the most salary cap space and the least salary cap space in the NFL in 2021. And the salary cap is $176 million. <laughs> That's great. That's a good stat. Drop it in Lighthouse. That's a stat. <laughs> Jaguars and Saints. And the top, yeah. The, the Rams have $31 million in dead cap space as well. well. They have the top two dead cap hits in NFL history. Yes. Because so, the contracts they've been dumping. So as much as we talk about, hey, they're bringing in Stafford, but like... Stafford, gonna, by the way, is in, t in the top five. Yeah. So they're bringing in more money. They've got the dead cap space. They they don't have a first round pick until like a decade from now. I mean, there's there's a lot of interesting things happen with the Rams. But back to the Steelers. Are they in full rebuild mode? I do Steelers radio. I do Pittsburgh radio once a week. And those guys are very sad. They're like, give me something to be optimistic about. I was like, ah, Big Ben could get back together. He could, <laughs> he could you know, be better next year. I mean, uh -huh. that's, their, that's their only hope. He restructures and he's just better. They add a million option years to spread the cap hit and then... I mean, I, Run it back. I think they need to look for his succession plan, regardless of whether they hit or not on that guy. And then they start, they do what you can with the rest of what you have left. I also think if you're, the the fact that those three guys are all tied together, Eli Manning, uh, Philip Rivers, and Ben Roethlisberger, the fact that two of them declined and walked away already should probably be on your radar, at least in terms of your where you are. That's a good point. Like, Sure, Roethlisberger could be Tom Brady and, you know, buck the, the There's rules not of physics. one sign that that's the case. No, I, there isn't. But, you know, if in terms of like in his brain, right, you could be like, oh, sure, you could be Tom Brady and therefore be able to defy the laws of biomechanics and biology for the next 10 years and keep on trucking when everyone else in your uh, peer group declines and fizzles away. On the other hand, you're probably just the same as they are. And those two guys... Like Eli's been out of the game for a while now, and Philip Rivers just walked away, having had a decline season by his standards. 
you're probably next it's, <laughs> pretty quickly. It, it, it's all about perspective. I think PFF grade, PFF elite, Super Bowl 25, get your 25% off. Great. Go check out Ben Roethlisberger's page. It's a, in 2000, here's what happened the last three years with Big Ben. 78 grade in 2018, which was his lowest grade since 2011. So he already started a bit of a dip, even though he threw for 5,000 yards. Who cares? He dipped. 2019, plays a game, gets hurt. Was, he was bad in the game and then gets hurt. He's out for the season. So he's, you know, getting older, getting hurt. This past year, 69 overall grade. I don't care about his 33 touchdowns and 10 interceptions during the regular season. He did not play that well. 69 grade, his worst since 2008 now. So three straight years of worst grade since or a massive injury. It's three years of evidence that Big Ben and is going the wrong way. It might be worse than it looked this year as well because um, – the low one of the lowest average depths of target in the NFL, quick game, all those kinds of things. Those were actually working. And also, the only reason his grade was as good as it was is because his performance on third down was absurd, which yeah. again, we know is not a stable predictive thing. I think Roethlisberger probably is better at that than the average quarterback and has some shot of maintaining a higher standard than average at that. But if he regresses slightly on third down and doesn't get better anywhere else, like that grade will fall off a cliff. All right, so some massive holes in Pittsburgh. They, you know, interior line, running back. I think they got to look at corner as well. All right, let's wrap it up with the Tennessee Titans: edge defender, cornerback, and offensive tackle. Just drafted a first-round offensive tackle last year. That was one of the big stories this year. Their tackles, which I didn't see mentioned anywhere, basically the Wilson a, thing. Like that's one Isaiah of the worst, Wilson was the was the draft pick. That's one he, of the worst draft picks in years. They desperately needed tackles, and their first-round tackle got like in trouble multiple times with COVID lists, and I think got in legal trouble and like everything. Basically, got on the field for three kneel downs at the end of one game, and then was deactivated and benched. Yeah, they. Uh, yes, they. I mean, they pulled our friend Marshall Newhouse out of retirement to play a little bit of football. Um, the tackle situation was pretty bad last year for the titans so i think you know they lost jack conklin tried to replace him with, with isaiah wilson taylor lewan got hurt it just it was not great so it's still kind of a hole for them their pass rush was poor they tried to solve that with jadavian clowney clowney is going to be a free agent again and i think again we, we rank clowney kind of high in the free agent list just because of his body of work and he's still a pretty good run defender but he didn't solve their pass rush issue, issues and cornerback is an interesting one because i thought Part of the reason why Tennessee was so good the last couple of years is because they were rolling three deep at corner, which is why I said last year Christian Fulton was one of the most important draft picks of the draft. Just try to like keep them uh, solid at that position. But uh, having a you know Desmond King as a free agent and trying to roll three deep there at cornerbacks definitely a, a smart move for the Titans. Yeah, none of those moves that they made at corner really panned out for them, um, which was a big blow corner is a bit like linebacker like if your new young cornerbacks did not fare well last year at all and it's another spot where I don't know if that changed like because of the way the NFL just gave the green light to passing offenses does that change how you should build defense now whereas before we would say throw all the draft picks at cornerbacks bring in all these young guys almost all of them just got lit on fire last year so is that your strategy going forward or do you pivot and say let's try and bring in some veterans that have been able to keep their head above water in in this league last year as opposed to let's bring in a rookie who's going to get toasted another potential need for the titans sam wide receiver 
Adam Humphreys, they're paying a ton of money. I wonder if he's a guy that, you know, with cap, you know, cap, potential cap casualty. Corey Davis hits free agency. I, I remember mocking a first-round wide receiver to them last year. Uh, I, I, I mocked T. Higgins to them in the first round last year, thinking a year ahead, right? You got T. Higgins for a year. Corey Davis hits free agency. T. Higgins is your number two. I think they, they have to look at a legitimate number two now opposite A.J. Brown. You're not going to pay Corey Davis big-time money. Yep, fair. So I think receiver is another issue fair. potentially for the Titans. Fair, fair. Man, that's a lot of good discussion there. We didn't get to even more. Do we have to talk Stafford Goff anymore? Or is it just push people to the daily? The Daily has a really good discussion on Stafford and Goff. So go check that out. But a lot of things at play. I think they traded for Carson Palmer. Hmm. Carson Palmer, late career. Matt, that's Matthew Stafford. Go check out the PFF NFL Daily. Super Bowl 25 is your promo code for this week 25% off. Any PFF subscription, I suggest Elite. Go get it right now. Super Bowl 25. All right, Sam, we'll be back on Thursday. We'll preview the Super Bowl, and then we'll talk a little bit more free agency. We're bringing our guy Brad on here, contract expert, talk about where some guys might land, what the biggest contracts might look like in, uh, in free agency. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. Go check out the NFC team needs from last Thursday. This was AFC team needs, and we'll be back here on Thursday previewing the Super Bowl, talking some free agency. See you Thursday. Thursday.